0: Hey guys, my name is CJ Finley, and I'm the founder of Thrive On Life, a brand that helps mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. So if you have a project, idea, or business that you're trying to get started on and you're feeling a little bit stuck, I'd love to help you or connect you with somebody that can. Today, I'm super fired up to have Cody McLean, the founder of Support Ninja, and also the author of Farsa Care to Millionaire. So let's just get right off and hear a little bit more about your story and how you went from foster care to being a millionaire. Tell us a little bit about that backstory and how you're doing today, what you do today, and where you're trying to go from here.
1: Yeah, happy to. Thanks for, for having me. So my, my life started out uh, when I had a very turbulent childhood growing up. My, my dad died when I was 11. He was an alcoholic and his liver failed and then my mom then it was pretty much like every two years we had like a death in the family it wasn't the best childhood and then i was growing up we moved to a different school and i was always the odd person out i never really had any friends i didn't really have a social group that i clicked with Uh, so always trying to find acceptance from others and and feeling self-conscious about my own body even because i was kind of a little chubby kid and then my mom eventually died when she was when i was 17 and that, I was in foster care for a little bit, but I was luckily able to get a, a guardian to become my legal guardian, and was able to live by myself till I turned 18, and I moved up to Vancouver, and that's a whole nother journey. But it was a it was a turbulent childhood, nonetheless. Yeah.
0: So where were you growing? Where did you grow up at?
1: I uh, born in Oakland, grew up in, mostly in Cincinnati. Yeah.
0: Okay, and what was your mom? So you lost your dad early, so you were like 11 years old, and then your mom died at 17, where were you at? Where were you living at that time?
1: That, that, was, that was also in Cincinnati. And I would say the, the thing that saved me was actually having a business. Because I think there are so many bad, you know, low-income family domestic situations that you can just, you just go live a life of crime or you just feel like your ambitions, you never raise your ambitions or expectations of what you think is possible for yourself because you're limited to the the worldview that you're you're given at birth living in that situation. Uh, for me, it was probably the turning point is when my family moved to the east side of Cincinnati and we ended up going to the Indian Hill High School. And this is one of the, the richest high schools, one of the top 100. Which is high schools in the entire country and we were allowed to go there because the place we moved to was in this little snippet so it was like a poor person's area but it was just within the confines did you, of the school did they district. choose
0: it because of that high school exactly
1: yeah and that was that was my my mom's choice and my mom and my, my grandfather so uh, that was a good decision but then Every day on the bus you would we would drive past these huge mansions even one of them had like a helicopter on on the roof and kids would get picked up in Mercedes and BMWs all the time and I would actually have my mom park like slightly outside so that kids wouldn't see me getting inside our old broken Taurus SC that was all scratched up and it was I, I, people knew I wasn 't rich, and they would make fun of me because of that, but that was a uh, that that experience of going to this rich high school as a poor student it made me sort of resent these rich kids and want to show them that I could be better than them, and i didn 't need my parents' money to do so and I ended up having a friend, his name is calvin he 's in my book, and he was he 's very bipolar, sort of like the friend that wasn 't a friend because he would be my friend one moment and kind of screw me over the next. And eventually he was in an argument with his mom. He's super rich. His mom owned, uh, they, 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 she had a Maserati and everything. And the, the epitome of my relationship with Calvin is I, would, I was actually starting to have success with my business, which I'll get into in a sec, uh, as, as I bought a printer with my own money and it had a little LCD screen on it. And I asked, I asked Calvin like, uh, what do you think? This is a my new printer. And he's like, it's cool, but mine's better. You know, and that's sort of his mentality was always trying to one up me. But we eventually, Basically, it was actually his idea to start a business. And his mom grounded him because she was upset at him because he wanted to get the new Xbox. And so he was trying to think of ways to get around that to get money. And we ended up having the consensus of creating a hosting company because we thought it'd be easy. Go to HostGator.com. We can pay 25 bucks a month. We get all we get the ability to resell hosting. And our partnership sort of fell apart within a week. It didn't take very long before we just couldn't work together. But there was something odd about the idea of owning a business and pursuing that because it's for the first time in my life, I was actually, mm uh, I, I was wanting something, I was craving something, and I think because I saw it as a as my goal of uh, being able to prove to those other rich white kids that I could be better than them. So for a long time that was my driver actually, it was just proving to them that I could be successful. And I, I had this mentality of being a businessman in high school, like I bought a, a PDA, a smartphone, so I had the best smartphone and I was always responding to tickets inside the various classrooms, in between classes, and school became less of a focus for me. And I I just devoted all my time towards the business. I would be up all night. I would be on the business. I would check the ticket queue for my billing and sales or support tickets prior to getting on the bus every morning. And that's exactly what I did when I got home. So I was a core focus, a core driver of mine. And I think I would have to credit having a business, having something to focus on in these times of trial that allowed me to be successful today. So I think it's partly luck, partly circumstances, and then just the, the mindset that I was able to garner.
0: Wow, that's powerful. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into like way before that because if you started this business at, you said 17, like when you started like really messing around with 15, what was instilled in you before that to like even get to that point? Because like I feel like... The age old question is like, are entrepreneurs born or bred? So for you, like when you were five and 10 and getting up to 15, like what tendencies did you have that maybe would have alluded to you were gonna be a future entrepreneur, so.
1: I I don't think I had any aspects of me that made me an entrepreneur. I, I did later find out in life that I have Asperger's, which is sort of on the autistic, very, very light. Like nobody would know if I didn't tell you that, but it made sense in hindsight as I had so much trouble making friends, is I would be respected by the intelligent people, but I I didn't, I wasn't really smart like the smart people. Like I I, I have dyscalculia, which is sort of like the version where you can't really read too well. Well, I forgot the name of that, but- Dyslexia? uh, Dyslexia, so I, I have dyscalculia, so I can't really do numbers. It's very, very difficult. Math and numbers is very, very difficult. me and then just uh, the idea of of not having any friends. So to, to me, I didn't really see myself as an entrepreneur or have any aspects of that until I was put in a situation where I was confronted with the idea of having a business. And I simply at that time saw it as a way to get to where I'm going. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur today, but I also, from a a philosophical perspective, we're in a capitalistic society, and I think an an entrepreneur's journey, uh, you first focus on making money. You know, if you think of Laszlo's hierarchy of needs, that we all want to get to that highest peak of self-actualization. And I think whenever you get there, you're creating art, you're, you're pushing out ideas. It doesn't necessarily revolve around making money so i don't so for fr- so from a capitalistic perspective i'm an entrepreneur uh, but i also see the ability to to generate wealth as an opportunity to find my own meaning and purpose and help others in a meaningful way but uh, i know that didn't answer your question but i no no that
0: was that was great and then so when you're before your parents, like, unfortunately passed away, what was your relationship with them? Like, did they kind of feed into your desires of, like, what you craved? Or was it more so they were trying to push you in a different way? Mm-hmm. Um, what was that relationship like?
1: Uh, so I didn't really live with my dad when I was young because we they had... Issues and they were almost going to divorce, and so we lived with our grandparents. But then our grandparents thought that they were mis- they weren't uh, raising us too well, so then they had to go to court to get custody of wow. us back. And uh, shortly thereafter, that my parents gained custody. My dad passed away, so I didn't really get to know my father too well. Then uh, my, my mother, she, she was, it was actually her second husband that died, and she just had this mental anguish, this, this distress that she couldn't let go of, of being lonely and feeling like, uh, like all those negative thoughts and feelings, and she just couldn't let go of that, and so she turned to alcohol, and it was in the book, like, she would have vodka under her bed, and she, I would, like, pour it down the drain, and then at some point I realized that you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. But at the same time, I look back at that with a a positive light because I could sense the love from her, but she wasn't able to take care of us. But I, I remember the love, that she had the love uh, so, that's that's what I choose to remember about that and I, I did end up having to use my mom's so I had to beg her to give me her social security number so that I could open up credit card and merchant accounts in her name because obviously being under a teen I couldn't do any of that. And she let me take some money from the account to initially open up my company so she I think she doubted me, uh, my success, even like my sister, but she she gave me the benefit of the doubt and she uh, helped me because, yeah, that's the extent of it, I would say.
0: Yeah, I mean, like they gave you a little bit of help, a little bit of a push to, to get you started and then it seems like you found this whole new world that you can just like sink your teeth into. So take me to the time where like you start dabbling in business. What do you consider like your first win? Now, it doesn't have to be monetary because again it can be just something you tried that was really cool and it worked but what sticks out in your head where you're just like i had no friends i lost my parents but now like i found something like and this thing is starting to work like mm-hmm. this is where my life is going and then you feel a little bit more confident cuz one thing before we even started this discussion is that you wanted to talk a little bit about life optimization and how you've optimized your life a little bit so where where did it tune where did that theme start happening in your life where it seems like most people would just crumble after you lose two parents, uh, you don't really have that many friends, uh, and you don't know really where your life is going at 17, 18, 19, and I'm 28 and still don't always know where my life is going, so I can't even imagine being 17 and not knowing what was a couple wins for you in this period that really got you engaged into where you were going
1: to head. Yeah. And, and, to, and to clarify, I had no idea what I was doing the entire time. Uh, and I think in retrospect, as a, a young adult and a kid, when you look at, you have these huge aspirations, and then, then you tend to reel them back once you grow older because you realize that you don't know this, you don't know that, and you have sort of a fixed mindset. And when you're a kid, you don't know what you don't know. You just do it. And for me, that's exactly what happened because I didn't know HTML, I didn't know how to manage or Linux servers or any of that, and I, that didn't stop me from trying. And I learned that experience as I as I went. Probably, probably there's there's pivotal experiences, and I, I've had them a few times in my life with different businesses, and I would say that they're they're the. The biggest leap that you need to make, because it's really easy to start a business, but it's very difficult to scale that business and to go to a multi-million dollar status. And when I was young, maybe this was around probably 17 or 16, is I was at that time just dealing with small hosting accounts. I was trying to get customers, but the majority of the time I was just, I had to live within the confines of my hosting account because it was limited. I was paying like 50 bucks a month. And the next step would have been to get a dedicated server, which is I have to manage it. I have to deal with the problems of of that operating system that hosts these websites. And I ended up getting a client who placed an order for a dedicated server and I was like crazy, like excited, but I didn't know what I was gonna do. So I ordered one and then I I was able to, I had to convert my shirt hosting to the dedicated server. So all of a sudden I had a lot more resources that I could then sell and grow from there. that was a risk because that server was like 200 bucks 150 bucks a month and that was a lot to me back then and so to take that risk that was uh that was a big decision at that point and and even going to today, uh, of supporting ninja my current company, so it's an outsourcing firm, started it back in 2015, we've we been able to serve some really huge, huge, even billion dollar Silicon Valley startups that I can't really name because of our NDA, but we have about 500 people in the Philippines and they do back office customer support and a few people here in our, our Austin, Texas office. But the, the leap for Support Ninja was I, I always had to fake it till you make it. And even mm-hmm. with my hosting companies, I would actually pretend to be somebody else so that if they ever ask for a manager, then they would escalate to <laughs> me. But I was always pretending to be somebody else. And, and with Support Ninja, we had no clients. I put the website up, and I had the idea of outsource support for startups. But I didn't know anything about jack anything about actually going to a third world country about registering as a foreign corporation I contacted a consulting company that were like, yeah, it's going to cost you like three four hundred thousand dollars of which I did not have at all But I, I just went with my gut. I put the website up. I did st- I did some advertising We got our first client. Uh, it was Cleanify. It was a startup that is sort of like handy.com like a like a handy like cleaning services type company and they they ended up going with us and they after they sent us about six or seven thousand dollars for the contract for for the term of the initial two months that was like the oh shit moment of like okay i have to figure this out now so then i flew to the philippines and i met some people i toured some different outsourcing centers and i figured out how i was how i was going to start it and get their initial agents so that was the most difficult part but i i didn't go off and spend all the money because I was still hesitant, I wasn't sure. And, f- and so for me, the, the the kicker always seemed to be getting that first customer. Like I create I create the the foundation, the business for the business to to grow. I get that first customer and then that was always what sort of kick started me into okay, I'm gonna invest, this is gonna be it, I'm gonna put my money and time and resources into making this successful.
0: So man, that that was awesome. Um, one of the things that stuck out to me was when you said it's easy to start a business but it's hard to scale a business so what do you think or believe that it takes to scale a business because everyone else everyone out there has their own opinion on it but from your experience and past experience what do you think is like the telltale sign of like you can scale something versus this isn't going to scale
1: so, uh, so I, I've, I used to have this problem, and I have, I have a really great friend, Zia Lee, who runs his own e-commerce store, and we, we have accountability calls on a weekly basis, but he's still stuck in his business, and he's desperately trying to get out. And, it, and when you're stuck in your business, it means that you make the business around you. And when I was running my, my past few hosting companies, I would get burned out all the time. And I didn't even know what burnout was. I it's just I wasn't motivated, but I'd still try and force myself to work. And the problem is I, I did all the marketing, all the sales, all the billing. I slowly started to outsource the support to India, but that was a very slow process. I still did a huge chunk of the business of getting in new clients. and. It was was something where I couldn't take a break, I couldn't be sick because that business was my life. And so a lot of entrepreneurs will start something, but then they end up becoming trapped in the thing that they start. And it, it feels just sort of like a job that you start to resent and I ended up becoming a a pilot later on and there's this there's this funny joke about if you're in like a little Cessna and you see a huge 747 you wish like oh I wish I could be the pilot of that 747 and yet this the captain of the 747 is wishing he could be in the Cessna because it's everything's so automated nowadays all he really does is push buttons and when you take a passion and you turn it into a job you sort of lose that vigor associated with it and so when you're working in a company when when you're Starting your own business and you're in it, it's, it could, I don't know. I I started to grow grow negative feelings and it's hard to get out of that trap in a way. And so, what I did differently with Support Ninja is I, I looked at this Kaizen mentality, K A I Z E N, which came from the Toyota production facility and it's sort of this aspect of combining processes and people and not relying too heavily on the people element to to grow your business and also getting people to document that information because there were several times when I was growing up my, my hosting company that I ended up having people that I would hire and then they would they would accrue new knowledge basically new knowledge equity while they were doing their job and if I didn't Wrangle it as, wrangle them and, and keep them in perspective and get them to write down documentation, they could essentially blackmail me. And I, essentially, that's exactly what happened one time Was the guy who was running my billing department, as I knew I had to get rid of him because he wasn't, he, he was negative, he wasn't doing a good job, but I was afraid he was going to destroy the company and delete everything or try and kill my company out of, out of hate and resentment. And so I, I removed all his logins, told him he was fired, and then he told me in chat, watch this. So he actually tried to go into my servers and delete my clients, but he ended up deleting something, but I was able to restore it. But that's just one aspect of, you know, first of all, hire the right people, but also make sure that when you're hiring people that you're, you're not letting them retain that knowledge is that when they have an attitude of sharing and actually looking at their, their, their job and how can they improve it, then everybody wins and you can develop a company that doesn't revolve revolve around you. And today I have a great CEO and we have a C-suite team, so they do the majority of the operations. That allows me to focus on my own thing and my own projects and not be feeling like I am having to be in the trenches all the time. So that, that's a luxury that I'm I'm granted with today, uh, but I'm still I still have imposter syndrome. I'm still so humble to be where I am. To I never really thought that this awkward introvert Aspie would end up being the owner of a 500 plus person company. It's still insane, I still wake up every day and I'm like, holy crap, I don't know how that happened.
0: That's awesome and it it gives me chills hearing that because like so I went to school for systems and industrial engineering and like that's, that's I went to school for documentation on how to create doc, documentation to scale and then optimize everything that you're doing well back in the day it was for manufacturing lines and things of that nature but now as we move more towards a digital world all the companies that I've been working on the major problem and flaw that I have seen is nobody knows how to document and then hand off work especially like CEOs and founders most of the time literally what they're trying to do is every have their hands on everything I want to be in the marketing I want to be in digital I want to be at events I want to do all these things and they have a I think it's that it's their baby so they're scared to like hand it off um to other people but i think the other thing is i'm working on a couple companies right now working with a couple companies right now and the big thing that you just hit on there is like hiring the right people and that's where my question goes to you is like what is the the right person because i'm a huge believer that if you just put the right people in the right spots things like the chessboard runs itself, right? So I think a lot of people try to put a salesman as a manager and then a manager as a salesman, especially in a startup, because we're always looking for help, right? You don't have the money to pay for other people. So people just allow and say, yes, hey, you can help me on this or you can help me on that. And that kind of like dilutes everything that they're trying to do. How did you kind of navigate that with Support Ninja to hire the right people and actually have your company scale where there's a point where you're not even in the C-suite anymore. You're kind of just the visionary and standing, standing back letting other people run it. Is there any advice you would have for someone listening to understand who that right person is for each position?
1: So, uh, so I can't even answer your question because I don't know, uh, but my response is, We've, t- we've talked about my, my current success. It's, it's supporting just a multimillion dollar company. It's, gr- it's grown so much over the past few years. I never thought it would be here, but in all that time in the past few years, I've had multitude of, of business failures. I've, I've, uh, one of my last company was it was making sixty thousand dollars a day, and then my business partners screwed themselves and then screwed me, and that was a, a whole bad problem. But a, a company that was making sixty thousand dollars a day, a huge majority of that was revenue. And prior to that, I've had, I've been screwed over. I, I had, an, I had two other companies. Uh, there was Hostify, and then the, another one. But I've, I've been manipulated and been in bad business situations more times than I can count. I feel like I can write a book on it. And so the only reason why I feel like I'm here today, you know, luck is always gonna be a significant factor, but the the fact that I had grit and perseverance is the only thing that led me to where I am today. And I use this example of so if we go back to Calvin when I was in high school, when Calvin because he was always trying to one up me on everything, you know, he had to, he had to have the better car and the better phone, whatever, is he would he saw my success in business and then he wanted to be successful. So he always came up with like new ideas and he would use his mom's money and he would try and build something. He ended up making something that was similar to Mega Uploader, you know, like Kim.com, like the huge file sharing site. But then his mom made him shut it down when they kept getting DMCA and takedown complaints for all the illegal content that people were uploading to the platform. So he had to shut that down. But it was something where I couldn't go live my, my parents' basement if I failed. And I also dropped out of high school, uh, and this it kind of related to my whole my parents. And so I didn't have any kind of education as I literally knew, okay, well, maybe I could get hired at McDonald's. Would I really be willing to work at McDonald's now? Like, so my options was become successful or be homeless. Literally, that was going through my head. And for me, I, I use example of, I, I feel like the, the bridges were burnt for me. You know, there. I think the guy's name is Alexander Cortez, or the the. And it, it happened in China too, where the guy he was like had his had the Spain army come over to the Latin America, and then he burnt the bridges, so his army didn't think that they could still retreat even in the face of whatever challenge lay ahead. And so, yeah, for me, I say the bridges were burnt because there's a lot of people who want to be successful, but yet you you don't fully commit mentally because you know that okay, if, if something fails, I can go here and I can go do. that. That. So, I, I don't think there was any super secret. It was just I, I failed a lot. I just got back up and tried again.
0: So, you mentioned, and the, failure is a huge word, like in the entrepreneurial scene, um, and failures look differently to, to different people, whether it's money or broken relationships. Why do you think moving forward, why do you think you had those bad relationships? In the first place, and like, how do you prevent that from happening as you work on the new projects that you're working mm-hmm.
1: on? So it's a, that's a, that's a hard question to answer. It's it got, I, I think that I, I had a, I had ended up having like a lot of business partners who I kind of viewed them as like father figures. And the thing I think about is that that recent Tony Robbins documentary where he asked the person of the audience, you know, whose love did you want more as a child, your mom or your dad? And for me, it was definitely my father is that I felt like I wasn't living in, in his vision. And the business partners end up coming along and it, they were like fathers to me. But then when money gets in the way, I've seen money change people like that. And it was it's shocking how it can change a person, so even when it comes to hiring friends, I really don't want to hire friends because whenever you hire a friend, even as an employee, you have to be willing to to put your friendship like say goodbye to that. you have to be willing to put your friendship on the line if you're going to hire somebody, even if they need the money um,
0: I love that answer, and that's one thing that I've actually learned, um, and I'm very like conscious of. I, uh, the book High Output Management by Andy Grove, uh, CEO, old CEO of In- Intel, uh, talks about hiring friends and how like to navigate those waters, and that you pretty much just have to like have a. Some people can do it, and some people like literally can't. Um, I'm one that I definitely can do it because if somebody, if our business doesn't work and it breaks our friendship well then they weren't my true friend anyway that's kind of how I view it and I'm also a believer that there's seven billion people on earth and everything happens kind of for a reason that luck, luck mentality you're kind of talking about um, not mentality but how there is luck and good fortune for certain people in certain circumstances. I,
1: I, I'd also say uh, f- follow your intuition and really what I, I think what allows me to, to not be afraid of, of whatever lies in the future is is being, is being so vulnerable, as uh, about my story, who I am, the experiences I've, I've actually had. I, I even wrote about one of my, my bad business partner experiences. If you Google my name, Cody McLean, drama triangle, you'll see a, a medium post where I realized at one point I had this negative relationship going and I brought in my lawyer as the rescuer. I saw myself as a victim, and then my partner was the persecutor, and it was going in this this circular pattern where it felt like I didn't want to get rid of them because I didn't want to risk destroying the business, but I felt like this this wasn't working, and at some point uh, a coach came and he told me, like, this is a classic drama triangle, like, you just need to change your perspective from being a victim to being something else, and then I was like, wow. And so, uh, within a, f- a matter of days, I realized that my business partner, you know, maybe he wasn't a bad person, but he was not right for the situation and my lawyer wasn't helping at all by being the rescuer and just trying to m- mediate our our disputes and so I said, "Okay, enough is enough. I'm gonna rid you and then." That was that was that. I decided to become, and, and probably in his eyes, I became the persecutor. But I stopped having the victim mentality, and it was so crazy to, just to look back at how influential just changing my own view, my own perspective, it was at helping me move past that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, and that I think that can stem from like how you grew up. Like from me, you talk about your friend Calvin. Well, it kind of for me just hearing that story he always is trying to one-up because in his family like they have money and like it just I feel bad for a guy like that that every time he goes home nothing is ever good enough so he's just trying to have material things to one-up each other and then when you're in your shoes and it's just like you're I can tell just from sitting here like you're extremely passionate about building things and solving problems and then when you have people that aren't necessarily in it just to solve problems but they're in it to like basically as soon as you solve a problem or build something they just want to either push you down to build theirs up Um, that is a common problem that I've seen and clearly like you're dealing with that too how do you stop that from happening in what you're dealing with right now like so in your business now and then like I'd love to go into after this question where you're what are those side projects and where you see the future but if you can dig a little bit into okay you've had these this triangle and you've had all this past of like things that aren't Necessarily positive, how do you keep Support Ninja gro- growing and like without that drama and without that negativity? Mm. What is
1: so, uh, as uh, I forgot his name, Spig Spigler, or, or who wrote the, the sales book, and he came up with that term about having finding the right people. And then once you find the right people and you put them on the bus, you have to find out what, what are the right seats that they need to go in, and uh, Zig Ziglar. But the, for, for right now, today, we, we have, I have a great team that communicates well with me, and I, I'm not paranoid about their, their own ambitions or their own self-motivations, so I'm able to let them make decisions and trust that... that they're coming from a good place. And it definitely took me a long time to find that because it's it could be so easy to find somebody who doesn't have pure intentions. And for me, that was the biggest issue was finding somebody who ultimately at the end of the day in tough situations could make the, the right choice for everybody around them and be fair at the same time. So that was, that's it's been, instrumental to see the other side of it to to be able to see what a good business partner what good managers and people actually are because now that will give me the template and the lens to pick good people in the future of my future companies
0: yeah because when the bus is going in the right direction everybody wants to be on it and then once the bus turns like towards a cliff it's like you're going to find the people that are trying to push the other person off the bus. Yeah. Um, I've, and I've been
1: that, yeah. that situation. Like
0: that. <laughs> so that's where it's like same, same with me in, in my past and what, what I've been building, and um, it's just something I don't think that we can get away from in human nature. It's just people will be people. Um, but it has been. I, I have the saying like slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Go a little bit slower um, when you're trying to figure out like who should be on the bus, um, and you generally like for me. This is from my experience as long as you have good people, like kind people on the bus, um, though that are willing to like give up their seat if someone else comes in that's like better, because that's what, from my experience, I've seen where, especially when you're scaling, You'll have somebody in a role, and they're really good at the role, but then as you scale, like you need the progression to be higher and a lot of people in the beginning of startups are generalists, so like they can do a lot of different things, but then you start hiring specialists who are better, but that generalist doesn't really want to give up their seat, and that's what has created mayhem in in my companies um, and now, moving forward it's I want to hire people that literally are like trying to find the seat, get rid of it so that's where like I think you, what you've done with support ninja is clearly doing that. If you have another CEO and a C-suite doing that, you've now f- progressed to finding seats to fill, rather than like having people in those seats, and then people trying to push each other either which way. So I love. I could go on in that discu- discussion and, 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 forever. And, and, uh,
1: and I have a weekly digest email I send out and I like to add, I, I, every week I put in a story and it has a moral lesson. And actually last week I, I gave this, this fable about this guy who sees a snake and the, and the snake wants to cross the river. So the guy puts a snake in his coat and he crosses the river, but then as he crosses it, the snake bites him. And then you know he's like, ow, and so then he, he drops a snake and he asks the snake, why did you bite me? And then the snake said, because I'm a snake and the, the the lesson there is that you know if if you if somebody seems like a snake it, it doesn't matter how good or pure your intentions they're they're always going to be a snake and unfortunately, I have encountered many snakes in my life, and I think there there's a fine line between uh, it, it's a blurry line actually between making a judgment about somebody and following your intuition and I end it by simply saying uh, in retrospect the I just bring up the Russian proverb that it's, I forgot the Russian proverb, but trust but verify. That's it.
0: Awesome. Trust but verify. So let's, let's dig a little bit in because we got, I think like five to ten minutes left, but let's dig a little bit into what are some of the side projects you're doing now and like you wrote a book and where do you foresee your future going? What are some of your hobbies? What are things that you like to do? Maybe not behind the scenes of a desk or working with your employees? What are sure. those things?
1: So what I, what I would, I've spent a lot of time thinking about, uh, I've, I was very nihilistic at some point and uh, there's this great video on, it's on YouTube called Optimistic Nihilism and it really showed me that in some ways like my, my life could be meaningless but I can choose to define what is meaningful to me. And so what
0: what is nihilistic? So for
1: those th- the listeners so, so that don't understand what it is, so nihilism is believing that there's no purpose to life, that everything is meaningless, that we're just these beings on this planet in this huge galaxy in this huge universe, and you know we're we're simply meant to, to reproduce, and there's no meaning or purpose like associated with it uh, in this whole grand design. So I think to have a view of optimistic nihilism is that you can choose to define what is meaningful to you. And I've thought a lot about uh, what is the most virtuous thing I can do that is ultimately where I should put my efforts, and I always came to the conclusion it's, to, it's to, to be virtuous is to help others. And I see two different ways you can help others. I can see a Bill Gates perspective where you're helping people, you're helping the present, you're carrying malaria and AIDS. but I. Also, of course, he'd never, he never—he probably didn't intend to do that when he was starting Microsoft. He was just focused on Microsoft. And then you see in the, in the current, you also see Elon Musk and Tesla and, and SpaceX, and he's trying to help basically the future. And so for me, I think we all have something that ties us to a past and maybe some childhood trauma, something that we feel connected to. And for me, it's underprivileged youth because there's so many kids who grew up in in poverty and low income housing and, and bad situations. And the studies have shown that they tend to stay poor like the poor is very unlikely to become poor and become rich, very unlikely. And so for me, I want to inspire uh, underprivileged youth and young adults that it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, you're fully capable of achieving anything you want in life. Because I once thought so lowly of myself, I was I was fat. I thought I'd never be able to get fit. Now I do CrossFit two times a week and I do all these things. I, I meditate on a daily basis, I read. I went through this this transformational process of just my own mindset. It was really a determination of what is my ambition and raising that, so wanting to be an influencer, wanting to have an impact in the world and other people. And so it started out like I, I was, I would basically, every day I would wake up, I would eat a bowl of sugary cereal and I would work for the rest of the day. It was always putting the company first. And especially after I sold my company, it's like, well, what is the purpose of life now? It's sort of like you sold your baby in a way. But I started to read on Forbes and Entrepreneur, other other entrepreneurs, they, they read, they read, they meditate. And so I slowly, over a period of years, I started to gather these habits And create these positive habits. And so, and the the first six months after I started reading 30 minutes a day, I look back and I'm like, wow, I'm so much more smarter. And then I meditate, and the meditation allows me to be objective, to observe my own thoughts, to realize the things I do. Like an example I give is, I I I would constantly go to the kitchen and grab a snack, but I never stopped to ask myself why am I grabbing a snack. And one day I realized, like, wait, I'm looking at this email, and I don't I don't want to reply to it and that's why i'm going up to grab a snack and so by able to to catch your own thoughts and actions you're able to modify how you interact with others you're able to to control your own mindset and have a positive mindset i don't think negative thoughts of myself anymore i used to all the time but if you can catch those then you can recognize that that's not a rational a logical thought and then you can kind of push it aside and focus on the positive because i used to always be a negative nancy it's still like in my genes i feel like as i I always comment on on the negative of of a situation. And after having enough experiences going to festivals, um, meeting new people, I was able to uh, understand what it means to have like positive vibes and to not always be this closed off, person that hates the world and so it it was a transformational experience to open myself up to be vulnerable to to be willing to be screwed over to make mistakes and by by doing that i've been able to connect with people in amazing ways i have amazing relationships with a lot of the people that i work with and i don't think that would have been possible if i if i wasn't vulnerable and uh, yeah that's that's
0: it i love that so that touches on a huge passion of mine which is I want to build something called the Honest Education because I'm a big believer in you got to solve the root of something and not just band aid it. And I think our society is putting a band aid to education, um, especially with the amount of tech that we have now. Kids are learning at such a hyper focused rate, um, but they don't have necessarily the outlets that they should have. Like, case in point, like my intern Hamza is here. He's, go- he's a Just finished his freshman year at UT, and he's had access to YouTube since he was a little kid. Now, we didn't have access to things like that, so we couldn't see the outside world. And immediately what I think about when you talk about underprivileged youth is my uncle used to be a teacher at Camden High School, which Camden, New Jersey, is like one of the worst cities in America to live. And I actually went to Rutgers Camden for a little bit. They had heroin needles on the ground. And it's just like, these kids grow up in a society where they're told they're gonna to be nothing. And then when you're told you're gonna to be nothing and you're, you see your parents as, well, they might not even be there, so you don't have anybody, you just ultimately just accept your fate and then either sell drugs or become a criminal, whatever it may be. But I think the fundamental issue is that, like for his instance, they were trying to force kids to go to school. So like kids were, 90% of kids there drop out by 16. But what would happen if you give them access to the internet or to calling Cody or to like being mentored by Cody and, or seeing people like him? Well, we live in the day and age where Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, yeah. you it's can just, see those people. A
1: lot of youth are following the wrong people. Yes.
0: So that's really what I wanted to get into was what is your fucking solution? Because I love the way that you think. And like, this is something that I've been, that when you're talking about building businesses and what fires me up, I've never built a business to make money. I've built a business to drive change. Um, because like I have an illness, I have an autoimmune disease, and I don't know like when my time is going to come. I've seen, uh, people in my family die before the age of 40. So like being at 28, I'm just like, fuck it i want to build something that's going to change other people's lives because it makes me feel good at the end of the day and if i feel good maybe i'll live longer so that's how i view it but i'd love to to for our last segment to be what do you think that solution is though if you if you want to help underprivileged youth like how can we help this world and the youth basically drive change in the future and not have to go through maybe what you went through with the negative thoughts and negative Nancy and things Mm. of that nature
1: well i think exposure is the is the biggest able if we can just expose ourselves to the the youth and the minds then it comes back to after that it's the fact that what, what i said earlier is that you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped and so i think a lot of kids they 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 don't value that because they haven't had those experiences and it's often when you go through your midlife crisis or the the bottom point of your life where you feel like there's no hope that is the often the 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 crest that you're able to pull yourself out of you're able to find meaning you're able to commit and have an ambitious goal of achieving something and so not everybody in the world is going to be like that just like when i was in high school i i wanted everybody to be friends with me and then i i, I went to a table and these kids sat up and then i said this this swear word and she got really mad at me and I'm not going to go into detail but it was something it was the mindset I realized of having uh, I want I wanted everybody to be friends with me and that's not possible you 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 can't have everybody friends with you and so just like the the world is not not every kid is going to be is going to change their mind or be followed to to follow somebody that's going to lead them down a positive light of of being an entrepreneur. Uh, I think we value a lot of wrong things in society, and it's hard to let go of those things like uh, materialism versus what would give you intrinsic value. Of what what are you intrinsically motivated to do that makes you feel good? And there's a there's like a, a professor who I recall I was going through a, the positive psychology course by Dan Siegel, great course, and he said like you know if you're you're depressed the best thing you can do just just he would tell people just go to a a homeless shelter but just help out people for a day and I guarantee you will not be depressed after that and so it comes back again to helping others and I think that's that's what I think I would like to do as well because I think it's one thing to make money but it's another thing to make a difference and to to get people who will read my content or listen to my my own episodes and say that they feel inspired or they're going to take action so um, yeah I don't think there's an easy answer to that but yeah, well I'd hopefully love to you through methods like this yeah. because I know podcasting is growing phenomenally right now. So
0: Yeah, well it's one thing that's so again like one of my business partners, she runs a podcast called the Honest Convo. So that's like our segue into like the Honest Education and building that out. Um, and I'd love to work with you in some capacity in the future of like trying to drive change here in Austin first and then hopefully globally. But unfortunately we got got to wrap, wrap up. I love what you were talking about. Um, And I'd love to hear the last little bit of if there's someone else out there that is alone, doesn't know what the hell they're doing, just like most of us don't know what the hell we're doing. If you can just give a little advice of like what their first step should be, whether it's a book, whether it's a podcast, whether it's meeting up for coffee. What what would you go for if you were to go all the way back to being alone, not knowing what the hell you're doing? What would you do in the present moment?
1: So I mean. It's hard to give advice, but the the thing I remember is there was a, a huge period in my life where I was lonely. and I wanted friends, but I felt like nobody wanted to to like me or I thought I would be I would thought I would die without anybody ever knowing I had ever existed. But in, in hindsight I realized that was a that was a decision. I was choosing to be lonely because I had opportunities to hang out with friends, I had opportunities to go to meetups and meet new people and I chose not to. And it sort of created this, this never ending negative spiral down to, to, to a bliss. And that's where a lot of people can do suicide or think other negative things about themselves. So it was a decision to change my mindset. Just like the drama triangle enlightened me that I can choose not to be the victim and change my circumstances. And so you can start reading books. I highly recommend it because I think anybody who says that they don't have time for books is bullshitting you. And I, I literally thought I would never read books. I hated books, I hated school. And somehow I've been able to garner the habit. It's sort of like a long video game, I see it. Whereas in video game, you get the instant reaction, the feedback, but when you read a book, it takes time to apply that knowledge. But over a few months of doing that daily, you're like, wow, I'm so much smarter. And you start to see the gains, just like building muscles or working out. It's like getting over that initial hump, then you're kind of like hooked onto it. And then the amount of knowledge that you can accrue and just apply to your life is, is exponential. So for me, it's, it's just garner of habit of reading and then realizing that anything you, you decide to think about yourself in the moment, you're choosing that way. You can choose to be happy. You know, you don't have to wait till you get X to be happy. It's it's a decision, and happiness is actually a skill that you can garner up over time. Okay.
0: You just crushed that answer. So, and I'm gonna do a so I'm gonna do a plug for him right now. Foster Care to Millionaire. Uh, start off if you haven't read yet, read his book. Um, Cody's been awesome uh, for the past 44 minutes. Where can people find you at or connect with you?
1: So I, I my Twitter account just uh, Twitter dot com slash Cody McLean. That's M-C-L-A-I-N. Um, but also consider subscribing to my weekly newsletter at com. as I think you'll like my, my stories and my cool links I find about productivity, life, psychology that I send out on a weekly basis.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for hopping on the podcast, Cody. I really appreciate it. And for anybody else listening out there, thank you for tuning in again. I hope all of you have a wonderful weekend. Thrive on.